Welcome to the Pete Primo Show, episode 67. And we are here with Patrick Tinney, and we will be talking about negotiation strategy and impact. Before we do that, let me just pay the bills real quick before I bring Patrick out. If you haven't bought my book, Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? 101 tips for furniture and mattress store owners to sell more and make more money and actually have more fun doing it. And let me pay the bills one last time. Steve, I'm actually paying the bills and I want to say thank you, Steve, for sponsoring the Pete Primo Show, the Mattress Industry Network, over 1,300 and 65 people strong right now. Let's get them over 1,400 today. Uh, this is a Facebook group that you belong, that if you are in our industry, you need to be in this group. Who's in this group? Everybody. Everybody's in this group. If you are in the mattress industry, whether you're a retailer, you're a sales rep, you own a manufacturing, uh, uh, facility, uh, VPs of sales. Everybody is welcome. If you want to learn how to market better, how to merchandise better, how to build your business, how to succeed in the mattress industry, you need to belong to this free Facebook group. Tell them Pete Primo sent you over 1400 strong and growing every day. Steve, thank you very much for your sponsorship of our show. We appreciate it more than you know. Patrick, good morning. Good morning. Or, or good <laughs> afternoon. Patrick, well, yeah. I, I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, um, man. Thanks. So I just have to, I have to do this very quickly. If you guys haven't gotten this book, Perpetual Hunger, book about prospecting, you actually have to get this. Patrick is one of those rare authors who has written many books. One of the leaders in sales negotiations and negotiations in general in the industry. Uh, when people have a negotiation problem, Patrick Tinney is their go-to guy. And if you want the inside scoop of the advertising, hey, Carson, God bless you, Carson. Thank you for saying hi. Always excited to hear from the Marvel Patrick Tinney. Yes, he is. He is that. If you want a history of the advertising business and you want to learn how to be more consultative in your selling, the bonus round is for you. And I'm excited to announce that Patrick, I'm not going to do it, but I want to. He's going to write another book. Oh my I God. <laughs> I don't know what it's written. I don't know what it's called. I have been after Patrick. Um, so I spend a lot of time talking to God and he keeps telling me to nudge Patrick. So I keep nudging Patrick and it's gotten to be an inside joke with me and Pat whenever he, whenever he posts something that's an extended post on LinkedIn, I'm like, going for, and he's going for F-O-R-E, like, <laughs> no, not yet, Pete. You're killing me. <laughs> Pat, uh, how are you this morning, man? You know what? I am just, I'm still buzzing from uh, watching Tiger walk on one and a half legs for four days. I mean, 
you know, there is, um, there's courage, there's grit, and there's that one last thing. It's called guns. And I got to tell you, it, the, the reason I don't, I, I don't know if a lot of people realize, but I think the reason that he did it was it was the 25th anniversary of his first uh, Masters win. And this guy is a, um, uh, he's a history buff. You ask him any question about anything to do with golf and he's got an answer for you. Only it's the intelligent one, not the other one. So, <laughs> no, he's, he's, just, he's just that bright, right? Um, and uh, he's going to go and he's going to play uh, the British Open. And I actually think that that's the course he can win on. Uh, because it's black and, uh, you know, he can just, he can use all the, the short game, uh, mastery skills that he has. But, um, you know, I was thinking about, um, Pete, uh, just before we came on here, um, I've been having a lot of conversations with people about negotiation and, um, I've spoken to, oh, several senior executives in the last little while. And the question that I always ask them is, well, what if we could, um, what if we can improve all of your deals by 3% over the course of a year? What would that mean to your company? Mm. And they all kind of go, wow. In the food industry, uh, they would strangle you uh, to, to get 3%. There are some other industries um, that have got a little bit more elasticity to them, but it doesn't matter. Um, you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're playing in a, in a fairly, uh, say, medium to large pool, uh, 3% means a lot because if you put 3% right down to the bottom line, that gives you a lot of resources to pour back into corners of your business that are being commoditized. And so what you want to do is you want to clean up that commodity space um, so that you don't have people nibbling at the edges of your business. The other thing kind of strikes me is that what if we reverse the law on negotiation um, in in, in business in general. And what about if we uh, got paid on, sure, our sales volume, but let's say that 30% of our bones were based on profitability. Yeah, the big time buyers in our industry almost always have uh, something like that in their contract. Um, and And whether we have it in our contract or not, we should always be cognizant of that. So, let me ask you this. You know, I have a lot of store owners here. Mm-hmm. They, they need to negotiate leases. They need to negotiate with their vendors. And, you know, one of the things that struck me about your book is the importance of integrity, first and foremost. You constantly talk about that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I started... I started being a little sentimental and I started looking at my, my biggest and my best deals and some of my worst deals. And I, I, I started to think about this. What did the other person feel like when they walked away after that negotiation, whether they felt like they, they won or they didn't win. Hopefully everybody walks away feeling like they've won. Right. Because if we don't create that, we haven't done our job. Right. Um, it, it depends. And I, and I'm, I, oh. I, that's one of those words that I, that I, I, I hate hedging. Okay. So I'll, I'll just hold my hands up and say I hate hedging. 
The world is in a really weird space right now. Okay. So we are coming back into inflation. And we're coming back into uh, a time of scarcity. The supply chain is trying to heal itself right now. And, you know, people are, you know, doing deals, but the deals I think are, are going to start to be a little bit different. In other words, we've almost had a, um, a polarizing effect in the marketplace. The way, the way that I'm looking at it these days is that you've, you've got extreme winners, uh, because they just happen to be selling the right product at the right time. Or you've got people that have been blown out of the bottom of the market uh, for no other reason than uh, their uh, their business is a high touch business and it involves a lot of people. And uh, and then you get the people in the middle who are the survivors. They they just they they levitate. In other words, they go look for money. They go cut deals um, that are going to uh, uh, be good for them in the future. And I think that we always have to be thinking about futures. I think it's really great. You went back and you looked at your, your deals and you said to yourself, geez, which ones really made me feel good? And how did the other side feel? Because when you're in a negotiation, you don't always get everything you want. You, right. you know, we, we all go in with the list, right? I, I used to, I used to love to watch my guys, um, after I moved up in, into management at the company, I used to love to watch the ladies and gentlemen come back from major negotiations from, with large clients. And you'd see them walk. Oh man, that was so hard. Uh, this is what they want. Okay. But what did you go out to negotiate on our behalf? <laughs> do, 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 you know, this is what they want. I my my friend Steve Kosick, who you read about in, in, in my books on the yeah. day. Yeah. After I after I left that account, um <laughs> the people that, that followed up after me would come back and he's Oh, this is what Steve wants this year. <laughs> and I would, I would laugh because I would, I would just say to myself, well, of course he gets yeah. paid, he gets paid to lower our, our profitability. What were you thinking? Ooh. And, and, Ooh. And, and, and the other thing that, that could kind of strikes me is that then our people would then go in to see the management team. They would negotiate with the management team really hard. So they didn't have to negotiate with Steve really hard. So Patrick, Steve has a question. How do you yeah. negotiate more effective when the price is not negotiable? Uh, that's a great question. And, and uh, Steve, thank you for that one. Uh, because um, it's, it's pretty binary. In other words, if you are at a point where there's very little uh, profitability in a deal, um, like just uh, flipping merchandise to stay alive doesn't last long. Uh, on the other end of the scale, you have scarcity. And you may say, hey, you know what? Uh, look what's happening in the car industry right now. So somebody was telling me one of the, those Carvana uh, towers was empty. There were no cars. Uh, the used car industry is going through this right now. It could happen in any, any industry. You could wake up tomorrow um, in the mattress business for some reason, and all of a sudden... Um, you know, there's a reason that everybody has to change mattresses. We don't know what that is because what we're going through right now is something that none of us have seen before. It, it the, the closest thing that we've, we, we've seen to what it is that we're going through right now is, um, the aftermath of World War II. That's what it is. 
and in, and people were feeling their way around to to kind of get back to some kind of uh, normalcy. So you know when things are not negotiable, they're not. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the car analogy. Walk walk onto a car lot right now and um, look at the look at the prices on the used cars. That it's telling you a story. And, yeah. and, and the car guys will just kind of say, uh, uh, oh, uh, could you make a decision on that? First behind is kind of looking at this car too. That's scarcity. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've, got, you've, got, you've either got a lack of profitability or you've got scarcity. And that's when I talk about the polarization of what we're going through right now. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan uh, Jordan. People yep. would strangle yep. you for 0. 0.25, 0. 0.025 on a big commercial real estate deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was yeah. that, uh, Dan, I totally agree with you. That's what I was saying, you know, just a little bit earlier about the food business. I was talking to the uh, owner of a really big food store and he has to, um, he has to negotiate deals on seafood because it's something that he's doing as a side hustle for a, a big store. And I noticed that he was bringing product that other stores weren't getting. So, for instance, scalps, really good ones. And I just said, you know, how are you, how are you cutting these deals? He says, well, I have my, my seafood or, or my, my, um, butchery seafood guy. He goes off and he does these deals. And I just said, you know, so how are you, how are you monitoring the, the profitability? And it was back to that 3% discussion. Yeah. It's kind of strange, isn't it? It's when a small number becomes gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you a question. I hope you're still here. Are you talking about negotiating with landlords? Or are you talking about negotiating with vendors? Um. And and here's the other question that I have for you. And what you're asking about, is price the only thing that's important? For instance, would better terms uh, help you? Um, there might be flexibility on, on terms where there is no pri price uh, flexibility. Uh, you know, if, if we're talking about a manufacturer, they might need to physically create space and they might be willing to give you 60 days or 90 days to pay for the merchandise and take it right away. Um, so that's why I'm asking all these questions. Yeah. And the, and the other side of that is just-in-time delivery. What's that? The other, the other side of that coin is, is just-in-time oh, delivery. So the great question that I would ask Steve if it's a retail customer, so your your presumption, unless you've identified it, and you should have identified it within a few sentences, um, is, are you the first store? Are you the 10th store? If you're the 10th store, they're only asking you one question. Do you have it in stock? Uh, they're not trying to negotiate on price anymore because they've already learned from the first nine stops that it's not possible anymore and that it's completely changed. So I would ask a good question that gets me to where have you been? <laughs> Who have you talked to? And why are you asking me this darn question? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what you do you know one one last thing is, you know, if so if you've shopped that many store or if you've been online, so it's it, well, people now have a tendency to go online just to get a field for things, right? But then when you get down to the, you know, when you get down to the store, there's all kinds of 
you know, things that can happen when you're in a store setting. And if you've already been in nine stores and it's the 10th, just think that that customer just may have shopping fatigue. Oh, they have to. They have to. Because we we know statistically they shop 3.5 stores. Yeah. 3.5 stores. That's like 2.5 children. Either you went or you you didn't go. I don't think, I think then the question is, am I the third of the fourth store you've been in today? Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that, that could be, um, you know. Stewie, what you got, what you got, Stuart? Some customers just want to feel like they got a good deal, which can equal to free delivery and a protector. I've done this many times over dropping a price. So. Yeah, that's a, it's a very good, and, and you know, God willing, you have the room and the pricing of your product and the accessory uh, that you can give a premium away. And it's a lot, it seems like more to the customer than it actually is for you. That's a good way to maintain margin instead of just dropping price on the core item. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, and, and look at things. Uh, you, you're talking about accessories there for a minute, which I think is really important. I just went out yesterday, and um, for my guest room, I bought um, a set of double cheese. 20 bucks. You know, what if the discussion was, you know, all right, so I want, um, you know, I want this mattress, but I want a little bit of a deal. Well, you're going to have to put sheets on it, aren't you? Yeah. And even if you, and even if you, uh, you know, even if you discounted those sheets by 30%, you're still... You're still out of profit on those sheets and you, you sold the mattress. So what size mattress do you have, Pat? Uh, I have a queen size. <laughs> All right. I don't know what it is about queen size mattresses. You just got a little bit more room to, to roll around. And um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things. What about you? you? You're a king size guy, aren't you? Uh, I was, but uh, when we yeah. moved, we moved into my wife's house 14, 15 years ago. Um, a queen is the biggest thing we can get in there. So, uh, oh. queen, I'm in the same boat as you. Steve, from what I've seen, there are a number of salespeople who don't want to lose the deal. So they'll give away the product. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a common thing in, in retail, but, uh, uh, this is what I would say, you know, uh, as the owner, you, you create what it, they're able to do, right? I mean, there's a it's, playbook and expectations and you have to manage those expectations. Now, if you want to stay tighter um, to those expectations, the very first time they color outside the lines, you got to call them on it. And, and so... Uh, one of the things that I constantly harp on people is consistency. And one of the things that I do when I'm doing consulting um, is I ask, "Is it, now, is this the 10th offense or the 100th? And are you now just bringing it to their attention for the first time? Because if you have let them color outside of the line multiple times yeah. and now you are trying to pull them back in, um, Number one, you should slap yourself because you never should have let that happen. Um, you have failed as a manager uh, by not setting the expectations and given consistent feedback. I, I, I've said this thousands of times, consistent feedback. And it's hard 
It's hard to give consistent feedback when you have multiple people to manage, yep. uh, but it's something that you have to do. So, um, one yep. of the, the one of the things. I'm sorry, Pat. I cut you off. No, 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 no. Go, go. Your 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 role. Uh, well, here here's the thing, Steve. When you hire somebody and they've had previous experience, you have to calibrate what bad habits you just hired. And you have to understand very carefully what you have brought on board and what you're going to have to do to deprogram this sales pro. Now, there are uh, stores that will not hire anybody with any experience. I think that's an overreaction. Um, but there are retailers that we know that have really, really bad salespeople and they have bad habits. And if you don't want to spend a lot of time unprogramming them or deprogramming them, whatever, whatever the correct English would be for that, be careful when you hire certain people from certain stores. But you're hiring from their previous experience. And that's why you have to really dig deep. And I know that it's hard right now because it's hard to find anybody. Um, but that's what you're wrestling with. Pat, what you got? I know you had a few I, I, thoughts I was on just, that. I was just, I was lapping that up. That was great. You know, I think what you, I, you know, if you, if you kind of roll this up into a ball, it's culture. And mm -hmm. uh, culture, you know, they, it, you know, with, when they talk about uh, culture, I, 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 I giggle when I walk into a corporations and they've got, you know, they've got their mission statement, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, Pete, you know, oh, we want to be the greatest. We want to be, you know, um, it, it's all top down and there's an old saying, you know, the, the fish rots from the head down. And, um, I, you know, I, I just think that, you know, you have to set the example, but I can tell you, um, I've been in a lot of places with a lot of senior managers and the senior managers are, they're not the best negotiators. That's why you have people that go and stand in front of customers. So they don't get those senior guys in there. Because the senior guys uh, have a tendency uh, not to want to be anything but the good guy or the good lady. Oh, they get happy feet and they give the store away. That's what yeah. happens. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and it's back to, you know, this, this earlier discussion about churn. Now, I know churn is important, but if you're churning uh, at, at, at very low profit, it's going to hurt you. It's going just going to crush you because uh, the things we know for sure are that uh, when it comes to costs and you're in the retail business, you're committed. You see, Dan, lots of rotten fish. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you've been listening to too much Beethoven. <laughs> what Stu got? Stu, I'd rather them walk than to drop my margin an additional 10% unless it's a very large sale. I rarely lose a sale to price. I used to do what Steve said years ago. I'm happy to say no when I gain no advantage. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, this really goes to mindset. Yeah. You know, you know, Stu, you've done your homework. You know where, where your competitors are at. You know, you're more than competitive at your pricing. Have the hot spot to stay. There's an old word. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know uh, one other thing? And I think um, uh, I'm just trying to remember uh, who said it. Um, I, I think it was Cohen. I uh, was served under Nixon. 
Um, but, but he had this thing. If he didn't get a deal done, it, he would say something like, okay, so you're not going to buy this uh, product today. So we're not going to get a deal. Done. But if we, if we could have got a deal done, what did that deal look like in your mind? Mm, that's and, brilliant. And, yeah. And, 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 and the reason that's really important is that let's say that you live in a, an area where, um, you're actually one of the bellwether stores, right? So people may, especially in rural communities where people have to travel, say 40, 50 miles, uh, they just put a bunch of gas in their truck or their car. They come up to see you and all of a sudden you don't get that deal done. Uh, they get frustrated. They go away. They check the market pr- uh, price and, and, and they realize after going to the next three stores, because you may have been the first, that you were actually the right person to find. And so when they come back in a second time, you've got that information. And, and it's, it, 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 it's one of those things that some people just overlook, but you know, um, the devil is in the details. It's always above the details. It's like, um, it's like I say to people, you know, when you negotiate a great deal, the thing you have to do as soon as that deal is done is get working again. Right. Because what you're doing is you're starting, you're starting the process of the next sale, the next deal. So, um, you know, some people call follow-up, which is really important. Uh, I, I tend to think of it as the top of the cycle going into the next, the next cycle. You know, the great negotiators, um, out there, uh, by the way, after a deal gets done is they make a lot of notes. They make a lot of notes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you've read my books, um, uh, Pete. Um, and this is really, really a commentary to, you know, to all of the people there who are having to do large vendor deals is, um, if, if you're on a Zoom call or if you do it in person or if you're on the phone, doesn't really matter what it is, have a note taker with you. Have yeah. a note taker. Take, mm-hmm. you know, have that person because, and, and part of their job, by the way, is so when you go into a negotiation, what I want you to become is a rankaholic. I know it sounds kind of weird, but always rank your questions by dollar value and quality because you don't know how many of those questions you're going to be able to get through. Right. The note taker, their job is to take notes. And if they, if they see something where, you know, you missed their job is to slip you a little note and, you know, you could just drop your head quickly, see what the, see what the question was that they should have asked. And, and then you, you, you get to deliver that. In other words, none of us is smarter than all of us. Think about how many times that, um, you know, you've gone into a meeting and, um, there's three people sitting across the board table from you. So it's three, three gets one. And, and, and in those, those settings, they all got a rule. So you can have one person at the table. I know it sounds goofy. That they're supposed to be the nice person. Then there's the other person who asked the hard questions because they, they don't have a lot of touch points with you. This is why buyers now do the buying and then pass uh, the negotiations over to procurement to beat up the seller. Um, but there's a problem with that. And it's back to your, your, um, your, your guest earlier. Um, you get to a point where you say, no, it's not a deal. Right. You run into Mike Weinberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what's cool about uh, Mike uh, and, um, and, and, and my history is that we both called on Walmart. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. And, and I'm one of the few guys that have walked away from a Walmart deal. Why people hate it. But it was all about price, it was all about price contagion. So that's actually something I want to talk about. And I'm supposed to be reading my uh, chapter in my book right now, but I'm going to delay it just slightly because uh, thoughts are like butterflies in my head at 61 years old and they fly away. So let, let me talk about this. When uh, Mr. and Mrs. Store Owner, they're, they're negotiating um, on a lease for a store. One of the most important things, and listen, you tell me if I'm wrong, because you are much more astute on negotiations than I am. One of the most important things that you have to be willing to do, Mr. and Mrs. Store Owner, is to walk away from that landlord. Never become so emotionally attached to a new store that you're going to sign a deal on 100% on their terms. Unless it happens to be a great deal. What say you, Pat Tinney? You are the expert, not me. I get I gotta tell you. So I got a sidebar you on this one. Um sidebar. I, yeah. So you, you know, I was really heavily into the whole uh mapping space and trying to understand where customers are versus where store locations are. And I remember it was one of the uh biggest um uh flooring places in Canada. And during the one of those great growth periods, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, I forget. But they were opening stores up like insanity, insanity. Um, and I, I started to map them all because I was involved in the flyer distribution business and as, as well as the on-page uh, advertising business. And I remember walking into uh, their agency um, with a map. And I said, so I, I just want to, I just want to go through this discovery. These are your top three kinds of customers. They're, they're families with children. They're people that are accumulators. Um, they have a tendency to be sort of under the age of 50, right? And she went, right. I said, well, have a look where your stores are. Have a look where your stores are. You've built stores in areas where there are a lot of seniors. So in other words, people are going to have to drive miles to get to your store and they may pass by two or three of your competitors. Talk about adding value, huh? Holy smoke. Wake up, call. Wake up, call. Earthquake. I'll tell you what the market was. It was Vancouver. Wow. It was Vancouver. And 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 you've got even bigger problems out there because there are so many um uh uh, waterways and rivers and bridges there uh, that you have to cross. It's it's like another one of our um, uh, Canadian cities, uh, Winnipeg, same problem. I remember I did a, um, uh, I was trying to convert the, what was the predecessor to Walmart was a company called Wolco here in Canada. And they're a junior department store. And I was trying to move them away from the daily newspaper there. That's <laughs> what. So to move them into our community newspaper um, uh, network that we had there. And so uh, what I did was uh, I couldn't get the sale that couldn't get the sale that finally the manager said, listen, I'm going to go to Winnipeg and have a look. Um, the media manager, I'm going to have a look at Winnipeg. I got on the phone with my guy from Winnipeg and I said, you got to get him in the air. Uh, uh, read a, a hot air balloon or 
He says, Christ, no better. He says, think of the insurance problems. But anyway, I said, rent a small plane. <laughs> so uh, he got him up in the air and he said, there's your stores. Okay. This is the kind of coverage we have. Here are areas where we'll, where we can get to your, to your customers with a lot more ease than, than what the, what our competitors doing the daily at the time that, that daily hadn't taken its, um, extended market coverage and, and moved it, uh, into the correct spots. So it's really funny that, um, you know, once you start to think about, um, location that way, it changes things. The, the other thing I would say about this, and it, it just popped into my mind. I remember a friend of mine, he, um, he, he was in the, um, the fish business. And he wanted to buy his own store. He'd been in the business for about 25 years. And he sent a friend in who didn't know how to negotiate to buy the store. And he didn't get a good deal. And the reason that he didn't get, get a good deal is he didn't understand the value of challenge. So when you're renting space, you're always looking at what, uh, am I, am I getting four bare walls? Am I getting four? What am I getting? You know, this is really important because you know, there could be display cases there. There could be, you know, uh, furniture that somebody left, you know, what, what chattels are there that you can have? The other thing is if, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, a the, the kind of a landlord that has a lot of properties, just ask them, just say, you know, what have you got right now that you want to get rid of that I might be able to use? Yeah. Yep. For them, it's that, you know, I remember when our company got bought over by, um, Hollinger, the first thing that they did uh, with, with our company is they came in and they took out all, all the best furniture. Think about it. What they did was they bought a company and then what they did was they liquidated the valuable chattels. Hmm. Instant cash. Yeah. Instant what's they, cash. What, they, what did they liquidate next? <laughs> People. Yeah, that's what I was afraid you were going to say. Twenty percent of twenty percent of the people in the company were marched out. I was marched upstairs. I was the guy they said, "Come on upstairs, Pat. We we've just grown from you know one point five million circulation to five million circulation. Roughly fifty percent of the homes in Canada. It's seven companies. Um, they've all been purchased in the last six months. Your job is to stitch them all together geographically and oh, make them easy and job." Make, and make them speak the same language. Think about in your business, Pete, when yeah. you, with your consultancy, when you walk into different stores in different states, are they all speaking the same language about furniture? Pretty much. Sometimes well, there there's are no, there's, regional differences. I will yes, tell you that. For sure there are. There's, there has to be. And, you know, you, you um, I, I know because I ran into it my own business, you'd say, well, God, we've been printing newspapers since like the fifteen, the you know, the fifteen hundreds. I mean, surely you, you're you're all talking the same language. No, look at what's happening in the digital space right now. There's half half the time I'm talking to people in the digital space, they're using so many acronyms that I'm kind of going, "Whoa, wait a minute! I got to get my acronym dictionary out here just so I can stay at you know at, at pace with everything." Yeah. And, that, and that's something you really got to be careful of uh, in negotiation again. Um, so one of the things that, that I believed in so deeply when I wrote my books was that uh, coming out of the newspaper business, I knew exactly um, 
what level our newspapers were writing to. And typically they wrote to about a grade 11, grade 12 level. I wrote my books at about a grade 11 level. You'll notice that there's no big words in there. The other thing that I did was that I took the most complicated ideas in negotiation and I simplified them. I put labels on them. I talk about buyer risk, seller risk, tide compression. You know, I talk about hidden value. I talk about, you know, um, you know, uh, crazy things that nobody else is going to do. See, to me, um, in business these days, there's, there's, there's no right way to make money anymore. There's just a lot of ways. And I think we have to understand what a lot of ways means. Right. Look at, look at the drugstore business. They've now gone into the food business. Yeah. They've gone yeah. into the fashion business. Yeah. You, look, you at, a, look at gas stations. They're in the, they're in the fast food business now. They're in the fast food business. Among yeah. other businesses. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's they're in the uh, Chotsky business. They're in the souvenir business. They're yes. in all kinds of businesses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so, and so that then affects, um, how it is that we negotiate because, um, you know, it, it, it depends on how big that pipe is. And we've really been like our eyes have been opened up very widely about how big that pipe was when, uh, when the channels for distribution started to break down. Yeah. We, we had no idea. Every, everything was, was just in time delivery. You see, right. um, you know, Walmart was the first, I think, to sort of get this in their head and get it right. Um, and then up here in Canada, it was Canadian Tire. So what they did was they moved the back of the store to the front. So you, you, there wasn't really that much warehouse space. It was all retail, hardcore space. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when I go into stores uh, now, it's, it's stack them tall. Everything is stack them tall. I remember walking into, so Lowe's wasn't here in Canada yet. And I, when I, whenever I would go down to, um, uh, down to your, your lovely country on vacation, I would, um, always leave one day for retail therapy. And so I would go up and I would look at all the retail concepts that, um, uh, that weren't in Canada yet that might come. And I, I, I had an inkling that Lowe's was going to come up. So I was down in Tarpon Springs and I walked into the Lowe's store there. And I'm walking around, wow, look, sign. But I'm saying this to myself right now, I walk by the store manager and looking up and he goes, hey, buddy, what are you doing? I said, why? He says, nobody walks into one of our stores and looks up. They're always looking down or sideways. You're different. I said, yeah, I am. Here's that. So I'll just, you know, all uncloak. This is what I do. I understand you're coming to Canada. And I got to tell you, you're much different than Home Depot. And he goes, you're right. I used to work at Home Depot. And he says, by the way, I was on the strategy committee to open Canada up. He says, I was up in Syracuse before this. Wow. He says, do you, do you want to know what the strategy is? I said, yeah, I'd love to. He says, I've only got 15 minutes. Just walk with me while I'm working the store. I'll tell you. I came back from my holidays. I walked in the, <laughs> I walked to the office and said, okay, guys, here's the deal. Yeah. 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 Were we ready? Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, that comes back to, uh, that whole idea of reconnaissance that I talk about a lot in my, uh, in my books. And I'll tell you, yeah, in the retail space, there was nobody 
There was nobody that was better at it than Walmart. Yeah. You know, as a retailer, you cannot do too much intel. You cannot do too much uh, preparation. Uh, Stu, I saw your comment about Lowe's and stacked mattress boxes. So here's something that, you know, everybody at retail has decided different avenues. Some are embracing uh, the boxed mattresses and are offering alternatives as well as the Mm -hmm. name brands that they're used to. Um, here's something that you really need to understand and gravitate to. Um, if you have boxed mattresses and you do not stack them in your store in some shape or form, you're missing the boat because you need to visually cue your customer in and let them know that you have this without ever saying a word. So if you carry nectar mattresses, I'm just making this up. You need to have a stack of nectar mattresses somewhere. Neat, professionally done. Don't let it take up too much room, but make sure it does one thing. It gets up to eye level. Eye level, whenever you talk to experts in merchandise and, and display, they will always talk about eye level. You've got to win the battle at eye level. Don't assume they're going to look way down. Don't assume they're going to look way up like Patrick did. Eye level. You got to win the battle at eye level when it comes build a, to display. Build a, build a pyramid. Pyramids, we don't like, we, pyramids you know, are great. Yeah, because the the eye uh, square things, unless they're uh, broken up into threes, fives, aren't interesting. But the minute you make uh, the, the minute you make a pyramid, it's interesting to the eye. Stu, you are welcome, and it is free. So. Uh, and I did not get that idea. I have started to notice that, that my dealers are doing it more and more. And then when I was at my open house with Steve Carnes from uh, Bend Industries of America, his most successful retailers are all doing that. And I've noticed it too. So I'm glad I shared that with you and I'm glad you uh, are able to do that. Let's take a quick break and I am going to read a chapter and it's going to take all of a minute or two. For those of you at home, I've never read this chapter before. It's chapter 73 and it's 108. And before I read it, do not tell me, do not tell me that you can't do this. Think about how you can implement it. And by the way, I copied this from other retailers. This isn't something that I dreamt up in my own head. Offer free educational seminars. You've heard it before. An educated customer is the best customer. In this day and age of countless choices, options, and competitors, a smart way to distinguish your business is by helping your customers become better educated about what it is you offer. One unique way to accomplish this is by holding free seminars, classes, and educational events built around your products and your services. You can hold these during the day or evening, either at your store or at a local hotel or community hall. The idea behind these educational events is to create and enhance the relationship and to put yourself in your business in a category of one. Dramatic pause. Nothing can improve the customer relationship like the ability to connect with them in a non-sales, benefits-driven, face-to-face experience. 
Few, if any, business owners get this, which is why I want you to do it. No matter what it is you do, there is a 99% probability you can host a training educational event to teach attendees the ins and outs of what it is you sell. You can educate them on what to look for and what to watch out for. And through these, uh, and though these are non-selling events, your attendees should come to the logical decision your product or service is the right choice for them. Please do not say, but my business is different. I can't do this because furniture and mattress stores don't do this. Go to Lancaster PA, look for Gardner's Mattress and more. They do this and you can too. And by the way, it's not just Jeff and Ben that are doing it. I, I read articles in furniture today over the last 40 years. It was done 20 years ago. Um, there were some really creative sales reps that, that would uh, do the history of mattresses. You know, did you know that Egypt, did you know that Egypt had waterbed mattresses? No, you didn't know that. Your customer doesn't know that too. Bring something different and new. Hey, do you think that they want tips on how to shop for mattresses more than ever? Do you think that they're a hundred percent comfortable buying a bed in a box? I don't think they are. Our dealers that add bed and box programs to their merchandise and do a lot more business. So, Pat, I know you have something to say because you were oohing and on. <laughs> well, you know, if, I, I love listening to what it is you're talking about because this is what I've lived most of my life. I, you know, uh, there's a lot of guys in business that, you know, we're going to take a top down view. No, don't do that. Take a no. bottom up view. A bottom up view. It's where you understand exactly what it is like to be the customer's customer. Yep. You know what? There's a local store here. Um, uh, so I live in a rural area uh, now in Ontario. And what happens is if the city people come up and they can only get so much stuff in their car with their kids and all the rest of it, then they come up here and they drop everything off at their cabin and then they go up and they shop. And um, I've been talking to the... Um, uh, the local uh, owner, and I said, uh, why don't you just invest in tiny little list things with, with cheap little pencils, like the kind you get at uh, golf courses. And the minute the person walks in the store, you say, welcome to Cardiff Country Store. What's on your list today? You see, because um, people come in and they come in with one thing on their mind. But if you alert them to the to the idea that it's not one thing, it's several things. So when you walk in to buy a mattress, you got to have sheets. You, you probably have to have uh, night tables. You, you're going to need lamps. And, you know, so it's the whole idea of you're selling an ecosystem. I know it sounds kind of weird to call a furniture store an ecosystem, but it is. You know, uh, you, when, when you walk into any kind of a store, you want, you're always cognitive of, okay, so how many SKU are in here and how many how many of those things can I put into some kind of a package for the customer? So it's what's on your list is so important. Yep. So let's, let's go back to, I just want to read something to you because it just, it's so good. It's early in your book. It's so good. 
All of us are in the relationship business. Relationships are the tipping point for business stability, sales growth and negotiation profitability. Customer relationships are critical. And then you go into, and I'm not going to dive all the way into it, the importance of doing your homework to getting that intel, to getting um, intelligence on a weekly basis. And then you kind of morph into be creative. Customers want creative ideas, not Boy. stuff. Yeah. Stuff gets negotiated as a commodity. Beware. So much to unpack there, but guys and gals, we earn the right to be at a table negotiating anything. Now, I'm talking about negotiating store leases right now for you. You have to do your homework. You have to know when it's a good deal, when it's a bad deal, when you should walk away and when you should embrace it. You know, once in a blue moon, it might just happen that a deal is perfect the way it is. Those are few, very few and far between. Um, one of the things that I had mentioned earlier was be willing to walk away uh, from from a, uh, a lease deal that is not to your advantage. But I'm not advocate a hardcore uh, beat them up negotiating posture. As a matter of fact, I believe that the most the the most benefit to you and to your business long term would be to be professional, be prepared, earn your right to be at the table by having the intelligence and doing the hard work of of being knowledgeable about the marketplace and what rents are going for now. Um, as a matter of fact, this is what I would say to you. You should look at many, many buildings, 10, 20, 30 buildings before you ever settle on one. And you should have a lot of flexibility in your mind. And, you know, Pat in his book puts labels on things that I never put labels on in my 40 years. I just read this book couple years ago. And I'm like, what the heck did I do to last 38 years? Like, I knew a lot of this was true because, but I didn't know the name of it and I didn't understand how it fit in. And one of the things that I think you have to do for your own sake is you have to have a some commandments that you're going to live up to when it comes to uh, negotiations. And I also think you have to have a framework or a strategy that works for you. Pat, I'm going to let you riff on that. I know I threw like 20 things at once. No, no, I, I just, man, I just love it. Um, you know, too often um, we get sucked into time compression. And the minute that you're rushed is when you start to make mistakes. Self-induced time compression. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's anxiety. <laughs> like, honestly, there's some people that are so uh, adverse about negotiating this. Like, oh, my God, get the deal done. Get the deal done. I don't really care. I don't really care. Um, back to that lease that the, uh, the gentleman did for the fish store, by the way. Um, it took him three, four years to pay down the premium that he paid for that retail location that he was renting. Mm. Oh, yeah. 
So see, that's why it's so, so important. Like, you know, it's, um, it, in some of these, these deals, when you, when you, when you do the deal, you own the deal. And if you don't like the deal, leaky, leaky deals are the worst things in the world. There is nothing worse. It, your comment about, you know, you know, walking away and all the rest of it. I have a, a philosophy and I don't know whether I ever, ever put it in the, in the books or not, but it's, it's really like this. You open the box slowly. You look inside the box. If you don't look, if you don't like what's in the box, close the box. <laughs> and you know, I love it, that, Pat. Yeah. Yeah. Because you never know what you're going to have to come back for. You never know what you're going to have to come back, but open up that box again, but slam the box. The person might say, oh, yeah, I remember you. Oh, oh thanks. Yeah. Thanks, pal. You know, so and as far as um, strategy and, and you didn't use the word, but I'm going to pop the word in here. It's philosophy. Yes. And I, I remember when I first started to, uh, I noticed it in my own company. I thought, you know, it, this is why I, I get talking about, you know, there's different cultures. People have different languages, different things that they do when you go from area to area. I mean. It, it blew me away that we could be a multi-billion dollar company and not have a philosophy about negotiation. We had mission statements that meant nothing. Right. But we had no philosophy around profitability. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until years later that, you know, it, it, all of a sudden, you know, we had jackrabbits that were jumping out of boxes and going, look at the deal I did. That book. Oh my God. I mean, when I walked away from that Walmart deal, my people hated me for years. They hated. And it wasn't until years later that they put a new president out west, a sharp guy, and he calls up and he called up about two accounts. And uh, um, one of them was the Walmart. He said, did you have anything to do with that? And I said, yeah, certainly did. I, I'm the guy that said no. I walked away. And he said, thank God, Pat. He said, you were brilliant. But it took three years for me to be brilliant. In the meantime, people were throwing rotten eggs at me for three years. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. I, and I'm, what, what I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to imply that you know if you wait long enough, you get smart. That's not it. It's making hard decisions is hard. You know, it's like it, I'm, I'm back to this this whole idea of. Um, how many negotiation strategies can you identify? You talked about labels there. You talked about, you know, I, I knew this, but I, you know, one of the things that I, when I did my 50, uh, um, bookstore sightings, um, I, I would ask people and I would, I, I would go in there with, um, two boxes of business cards. So I would give away 300 business cards, um, every, every book signing that I did. And I would ask people, business people over and over again on a scale of one to 10. How good are you as a negotiator? And, you know, the, the number, and we've all got a number. So all you listeners out there right now, you've got a number. It's right here. You can see it in your mind. And I'll tell you, after talking to thousands of people, the average number is I'm between a six and a half and a seven and a half out of 10, 10 being the best. Wow. A lot of yes. room for improvement. Yes. Well, well, no, hang up for a second though. The next the next thing I said was, brilliant. I said, that's fantastic. That sounds like you're getting the best part of 65 to 75% of your deals. And they nod like, that sounds right. 
And I said, great. I said, so I got one last question for you. How many negotiation strategies do you know? When do you use them for buyer risk or seller risk? And when do you use them for time compression? How many can you need? You know what the answer was? One. Wow. Well, think about it. If, if you know, if, if what if, what if we change the culture in, in, in the, uh, uh, in the, in the mattress business where part of the hiring process was you had to have memorized at least 10 negotiation strategies that buyers would use in it. And what you would be able to do when the, when, when the, when the seller started to use that on you, you'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you know how this ends up, uh, uh Mrs. Spire? Because this is the strategy that you're implementing right now. And if we go through it, here's what it looks like at the end. Now, I don't know. My folks here are great people to work with. This is a wonderful store. We've been around forever. And that doesn't work here. What, what's your backup plan? They don't ever have one. <laughs> and I've done this with CEOs. Yeah. I've done it with CEOs and they just look at me like I'm crazy. But you know what? It hits them right between the eyes because here's a person who's been a great accountant. They've been a great manager. They've, they, they've hung in that position politically and it is political. Think about family business and oh. politics. Still. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal, right? But the thing is, you know, Back to culture. What if that was one of the keystone things that you had to have in your business? How would that change your profitability and, and the intelligence of the conversations with the customers and the relationship building that would go on? Because you'd actually be educating your customers. Look, look at last night. This is off topic, but I sent you a, um, um, uh, a note on a, on a recipe for, uh, cod cakes last night. Yes. When I, I, I actually did the marketing for the uh, store grand opening for waterfront seafood in, um, in Toronto. And I went to the store manager and I said, so how many, uh, recipes do you have, you know, to give to people? He says, well, none. I said, do you have books here that show people how to, uh, cook fish? And he said, no. I said, so why don't we, um, why don't I take, um, maybe 10 of my family recipes? I'll, I'll put them up on, um, sort of a PowerPoint set up with some nice graphics and we'll show people how to cook fish several different ways. Because the more you teach people how to do something, the more it becomes their idea. Mm. There you are right there. The, 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 the more it becomes their idea. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your customers walked in the store and, and, and they would say, geez, hi, Pete. I remember the last time we sat down to talk about X, you know, Right. Uh, and, 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 I, and I've got this problem right now. And I know my mattress is wearing out. I can tell. You know, we flipped it, we flipped it, we flipped it, we flipped it. And I've got a sag point in the middle where I got a squeak in the corner. Yep. And, you know, that squeak is driving me crazy. And it's not because my kids were jumping up and down on the thing all day long. It's just that it wore out. Yep. Pat, we could go on for two hours, but we got to wrap this up. So what do we say... Uh, to our customers out there and potential customers out there who want to get to know you better, who want to buy your book, who want to get in touch with you and ask you a few questions about negotiations. How do they get a hold of you? Well, um, uh, LinkedIn for sure. 
And okay. uh, if you just plug my name at Patrick Tinney and sales author into any search engine, you get about eight or nine pages. Uh, my website, um, centroidmarketing.com. And you know what? Um, at my cost, at my cost, 15, 20 minutes, you call up and you say, I got a problem. I'll sit there and listen to you and uh, off the top of my head. And you know, Pete, because we spent a lot of time talking together. I shoot from the hip. Yep. I'm not afraid to say to you, um, this would be the best solution. I'm also not afraid to say to you, I need to go away and think for a day. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, none of us is brilliant all the time. And, you know, something, I'll give you the perfect example. So I got a tip from somebody that um, one of the, um, um, the sales as a solutions companies was, uh, their vice president was just, he was losing a big time on deals. And so I made it a point, I went in to see him. And he said, no, no, no. He says, I don't need any of this stuff on negotiation. My team, he says, we're top, we're top decile. We're the best, right? Yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine. I said, just before I leave, I, and I do this with just about everybody. I said, how can I help you before I leave? Is there one question you have that I can answer for you that I can walk away and think about? And he goes, yeah. He says, we don't know how to sell the CFOs. Mm. Well, he had took, he had just revealed why he was getting creamed. Wow. So I, I went away and I got thinking about it. And I thought, this is the, this is the one of the most interesting questions that I've seen in a while. Because to me, the answer is obvious. Why don't you invite your CFO down for a bullpen with your salespeople? Pizza lunch on a Friday afternoon. Maybe it's pizza and beer. And, um, you just sit there and, and talk and, and just say, how do you make decisions about when you're, when you're making big capital expenditures? How do you do it? Yeah. You know, and, and this is why we run focus groups, uh, by the way, for retail. We want, we, we, we want that, that, that mirror and we have a facilitator that goes inside and says, all right, so you're a, you're a, a growing family right now. You're about to have children. Um, have you thought about the following? What What are you thinking about, and how are you going to budget for it? It's critical because that's how we know what the what the apex is going to look like uh, in expenditure. Like, look at the cost of rents right now um, for everything; it's going up. The only rents that are going down right now are commercial, yeah, in yeah. towers. Yep, fifty percent of Calgary right now is empty. Wow. Yes, that's our second largest head office city in Canada. Mm -hmm. Empty. So, you know, it's, it's, you asked that question in the opening, you know, like, what does it all look like? And my answer was, it depends. And we're in one of those periods of time right now, um, Pete, where we have to think about this. So I went back to the CFO and I said to him, I said, I've got your answer for you. Invite your CFO down or... If that's too sensitive, because you know what's what it's like with the internal politics of a company. Sure. Then find a non-competing company where you can invite their CFO in and give them a nice gift, uh, uh, some kind of per, per diem with, with, you know, something gussied up and get them to come in and be a guest speaker and give them a list of topics to cover with an open bull, uh, bullpen at the end. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that I will, I'm going to close with this. 
I, I've worked with some sales reps over the years that didn't want to start at the top. They insisted starting at the bottom and going up. I've always started, almost always, as soon as I learned what I was doing, start at the top and work my way down. Um, I will, I'm going to tell you this. You're never going to open up your newspaper and see CFO assaulted salesperson, threw him out of office, threw her out of office. You're never going to see that. It's never happened. There are no physical assaults on salespeople by uh, CEOs. And I'm going to tell you this additionally. Usually the reason that man or that woman is the CEO of his or her company is because they are extraordinary. They are brilliant. And they are really, really nice people. As you work up your chain and you get closer to the top, people get nicer and nicer and nicer. When you run into the crazy, difficult to get along with people, they're lower on the totem pole. And I'm going to tell you this, they will stay on lower on the totem pole until they learn how to behave properly. Um, so don't be afraid to start at the top. If you're a sales rep, start at the top, work your way down and Pat, do you agree or not? Not agree. I know I, I was trying to wrap it up, but no, no, I, 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 I agree with everything you're saying. And you know, there's another way to look at this, and that is that when you're in a company, you sell up. The, the smartest salespeople in the world sell up. They manage up, and they manage across. So I would go in, and I would go in and sit. I walk into the, the the legal department, say, "Hi, my name's Pat. I got a problem, and I need an opinion." As opposed to somebody saying, oh, I'm going to take this to my boss and let them go do it. No, go in and get that experience. Uh, walk into the credit department and just, just say, all right, so when do you start cutting people off? What's the mechanism? Because what you want to do is you want to keep your customers healthy. You know, you think about, you know, we're, we're talking, I know if you're a, a lot about consumer, but there's also commercial sides to uh, many of our businesses in retail. And so you have to know what those cutoff points are because you want to keep your customers healthy. There may be times when you have to pick up the phone and say, you know what? I know that there's never a good time for this conversation, but I need a check today so I can keep you healthy. Pat, everybody knows that this show ends at one, but we have never ended one of our shows at one because we could probably talk for hours on end. <laughs> well, you know, Pete, I got to tell you, your show is, um, it's fascinating for me. I love to, I love to sit and listen to you when you get, when you get riffing. I just, I just go, yeah, man, that's a brogia because <laughs> honestly, I do. I, I, I don't want to interrupt because it, you know, when you, when you get in flow, I just go, wow, I wish I was in the same room. You and I don't have soul together. Yeah. We would have been insanity. Oh. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to do some stuff together, Pat. I do. I do. I do too. I do too. Call it destiny. Yes, absolutely. All right. Everybody, call Pat, reach out to him, go to his website. If you haven't bought this book, get it and do yourself a favor. Negotiate better with everybody and especially with your landlords and especially with your vendors. Um, 
good negotiation skills are good communication skills. Amen. And it will help you be a better person. Um, and that is just a side product of becoming a better negotiator. You, you will learn how to negotiate in your home as well. And you oh. will do better in all aspects of life. And that is another topic for another session. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. You, 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 just, you just pointed out the most critical thing of all. Okay, so we're all in business to have a good life and make money and make, you know, make a better life, which creates more freedom. But the, the most difficult negotiations, the most difficult conversations you'll ever have in your life are with your parents and your children. Amen. Amen, Pat. Thank you, Vlad. Great session. Thank you both. Thank you, everybody. You made this show go by so, so fast. Great questions. um, Thank you, Pat, for making uh, time. And I love your energy. I love your passion. And uh, let's do this again soon. Yes, sir.